Good morning, church. Hoping you're well today. Welcome to Christmas at Hendersonville. William, uh, praise team, thank you all so much for those song selections. I hope that what I have to say will accompany that well. I hope you heard the words to those songs deeply within you. And if you're just joining us, we are spending the entire month of December in a series called The Gift. And uh, gift giving is on our minds, isn't it? Some of you in this room, raise your hands if you have a wish list. Anybody have a wish list? I hope I see some adults and children, I hope so, and some teenagers, good. Uh, There are maybe drawing of names. Our families have drawn names for who is going to purchase for who. Uh, There is shopping, there is hunting. Some of you are looking for deals and the best bargains, and it takes a lot of thought and a lot of time and a lot of energy. And some of you in this room really excel at this. Raise your hand if you excel at this. Anybody in here just a really good, at least some of you are honest about it, that's great. Some of you are really good at finding the perfect gift for people. Uh, And so many of those people, though, who are waiting for those gifts, they are anxiously waiting, right? And they are anticipating receiving gifts. And they are bursting, maybe some of you in this room are bursting with expectation for these gifts. So I'm just curious about really what it means to give a great gift. What's it mean to have the perfect gift? But I'm also interested in what it means when gifts go wrong. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this or not. Um, I have several stories myself, but you might open something or receive something on the morning of Christmas, and you go, that's not exactly what I was expecting, right? I think of Ralphie in the Christmas story. I can't not. I can't. He he wanted a Red Ryder BB gun, and what did he get? He got it eventually, but a full-blown, Stan, I think you've dressed like this before for us, a pink bunny suit. Yes, a full-blown pink bunny suit. So what happens when gifts go wrong? Um, Maybe you were excited some years ago about the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles figure line. But you got this, new style Ninja Tortoise. It's kind of like a Ninja Turtle, but not exactly. Maybe it is. Uh, Maybe it wasn't even that close. Maybe you got the amicable Herculean. I don't even know what that even is. Not quite a Ninja Turtle. Maybe you weren't into Ninja Turtles. Uh, Maybe you're like my children and you were excited about the new Star Wars Black Series figures. But instead, you got this. E-3PO. This strange version of E.T. and C-3PO mix. I'm not even quite sure who came up with this, but that's not exactly what you wanted, was it, Georgia? No, it wasn't. Uh, Maybe you didn't get that. Maybe you got uh, Darth Vader on a motorcycle. Um, with uh, real sound effects, yes, and blinking lights, real siren sounds, and this mystery bump-and-go action, and gun-shotting sound and voice. Um, I haven't seen this figure. Maybe you got it. Uh, Maybe you really are a fan of Yoda. But instead of Yoda, you got Wise Puppet with a Fu Manchu, Stars Warriors, and his friends, the Karate Farmer and Door Ladder. Um, I don't know if you got this or not. Maybe you didn't want any figures and maybe you were more of a lightsaber person and you couldn't wait to get your lightsaber, Josh, or should I say William, wherever you are, uh, who has a vast collection of lightsabers. Uh, But instead you got the stick bang. Uh, So uh, I'm not sure what kind of damage that person is about to do to that other thing. But anyway, maybe you're not a Star Wars fan. Okay, I'm trying to get everybody included in this. Uh, Maybe you like Marvel and you couldn't wait for the new series of Avengers figures. But instead, you got Revengers, Endless Tussle, and the Incredible Fella. 
Not quite the Incredible Hulk. My wife's a big fan of the Incredible Hulk. I promise I'm not going to get you the Incredible Fellow, who, by the way, in the graphic looks a little bit like Shrek on steroids, more than normal. Uh, I had some other Avengers. I'm not going to show them. Uh, maybe you were a fan of the popular series, which, by the way, has made its way back of He-Man and Masters of the Universe, but instead you got uh, the Universe Prince. Uh, weird, just weird. Maybe you weren't into any of that, and maybe you're like my sister's who I don't know if they're watching or not. I'm so sorry, Dana and Amy and Lori. Uh, Maybe you were a fan of My Little Pony, Renee. I don't know if you had children like My Little Pony or not. But maybe instead of My Little Pony, you got Demon Donkey. (laughs) It's all they had left. I don't even know what it means where it says, try me. I don't want to know what it means. So it's a new series. If you you don't have My Little Ponies, maybe you're into Demon Donkey. I have no idea. Uh, Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you're like Stan. Sorry, brother. I had to go here. And you just really like the A-Team and Mr. T, and you could not wait for the action figures to come out. But all they had left was this, a battery-operated mighty car uh, with Mr. T's head coming out of the van, including with battle axe and rifle. You're ready to go, man. Five lights, mighty driver moving up and down automatically. What more could you ask for? Maybe one more. Maybe you're a fan of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I heard the gasp. You didn't get Winnie the Pooh, you got this. Some of you may have this, I have no idea, I don't even know what people were thinking, but what happens when gifts go wrong, right? Maybe you were expecting something and you got something that looked a little bit like this, not quite as cuddly. Uh, Man, I don't know, maybe that's enough. I I could go on all morning with these toys, uh, but we shouldn't. And uh, I promise it does have a point Uh, today. Today. What does it mean for the family of God to be a gift to the world, to others, to each other collectively? Tom talked a lot about family. You heard it in our songs. But what does it mean for the family of God, the body of Christ, us as a church collectively, to be a gift to the world? So when it comes to the family of God, what is it that people are expecting? What are they waiting for? What is the world anticipating? So as we consider this, I want you to think about, here in just a moment, I'm going to read a few verses from this. I want you to consider this question as we look at James chapter 1, 17 through 18. I'm not going to get into this too much this morning, but there's no fantastic narratives in the book of James. There's no plot twists. There's not even really any characters. You have some cameos that pop up, but James does echo the words of Jesus quite often in his book and but he repeatedly repeatedly warns against the ways that we misuse our words so think about that for a second it'll come up again but your words my words can literally be a gift or not so i don't want to take this out of context but i want you to hear this james in the very beginning talks about the suffering and trials that we experience as humans He'll even come in and say you should rejoice and have joy in it because those kind of things leads to our maturity, our growth, and our endurance. But then he also says, hey, be careful because desire within you can give birth to sin. But he also says this, but God gives birth to us by the word of truth so that you and I can become a kind of or first fruits. If you haven't read James lately, I think you'll find that it has a word for our contemporary word world like nothing else. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So think about that. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So if, if you and I tend the seed that's within us, I'll use James's words here, you and I become fruitful. You and I become doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So if we tend this truth that's within us, we become doers. And if we are to be doers of the words, or if we are to become gifts to others, not just your words, your very presence, if we are to become a gift, consider the source. That's what he says. Consider the source. The source is a good and generous God. So we give thanks for his generosity, and we give thanks for God being this giver of good things, and this uh, gives us the ability to live as light. So do me a favor, just pause and pray with me as we kick into this rather deeply. Father, even as I catch my breath, I say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being the giver of good gifts and great gifts and perfect gifts in, in regards to the seeds that you have planted within us to emulate and become like your son. Thank you for your presence. And may we become more attentive and aware of your activity in our lives. May we become more attentive and aware to the Holy Spirit's work within us as we are becoming more like your son. So again, we say thank you for your generosity. And may that generosity shape us. I thank you for your son Jesus, and it's in his name. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we all pray. Amen. Part of the Christian calendar is this word or this season called Advent. And if you're following the Christian calendar, you know that's where we are. It started in the last weekend of Thanksgiving. Some of you grew up observing the Christian calendar. I did not. Uh, I, I don't, it's not that I regret it, but the older I get, the more beautiful I see what this resource is. And so we have Advent. And so each new year opens with Advent. And it's literally the Latin, Latin word for Advent is simply, or it is Latin, uh, for this arrival. And so uh, you and I would spend time in Scripture reading thoughts and different kinds of um, readings that are focused on waiting and anticipating and expecting. And what Advent does is it teaches us to wait beyond the obvious. It teaches us or trains us to see what is behind the apparent. And it makes us look for God in all the places that we have ignored, finding God in the small things in life, all those little ordinary and mundane things that we might, think, might, not, might not think that God is in. And some of you might even have Advent calendars. If you don't have an Advent calendar, there is a difference. You might have a countdown to Christmas. They're a little different, right? Ben and I were talking about Legos right before worship started because we both love Legos. And my son, who's sitting behind him, really loves Legos. Each year, uh, don't throw anything at me, uh, each year uh, Lego has an Advent calendar, if you would. And uh, it's, we, have, we have the Star Wars version of the Advent calendar every year. Um, it's a little different than your, than your probably authentic Advent calendar. I don't... 
and I'll explain why here in just a second. But you may have an advent calendar in your house. And every day until Christmas, you and I are invited to open 30 small windows or pockets, or in the Lego case, a little box and a package that you get to build a Lego. Uh, and there you and I are going to find a different scene or a different object. But at the end, the very last thing you open is the manger. I don't think there's a manger in the Lego version of the Star Wars set, is there, Luke? I don't think so. Uh, it's the sign of Jesus. It, the bringer of hope, the bringer of life, the author of life. So we find out when we open the very last window that all the waiting has been worth it because we have opened the manger and we have seen that it's Jesus who we've been waiting for. This is what one author says about Advent. The function of Advent is to remind us of what we are waiting for as we go through life, get this, too busy with things that do not matter to remember the things that do. Hear that one more time. The function of Advent is to remind us of what we're waiting for as we go through life too busy with things that we do not, that do not matter to remember the things that do. So essentially what Advent does is it slows us down. It slows you and I down in the craziness and the madness of life to go, okay, what's life really all about? Let's recalibrate. Let's think about what life is about. And so you and I are reminded that we are waiting for the arrival of Jesus. As we think about the story of Jesus, one of those arrivals that we think about is his birth. That was a big deal. Jesus coming to earth for the first time. We wait. That's, that's an arrival. We also are waiting for the arrival of his second return. When Jesus will come back and make all things new. And even though we can't with our earthly minds even wrap our minds around what that fully means, that's an arrival that we're waiting for. But there's a third arrival. We're also waiting for the arrival of Jesus into the everyday spaces of our life. So his birth, his second coming, but what's it look like to anticipate, to wait for, and expect Jesus to be engaged in everyday aspects So why is any of this significant for our conversation today? I think Advent is significant in itself. I could talk about that for a long time, and I, and I wish that I had time to do so. But why is it significant for today? And here's what I would like you to do. Just pause. Don't spend too much time on this, but pause and just consider the reality of darkness that exists in our world. There's plenty to go around. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes it doesn't always look like what we think it would look like. Sometimes it doesn't always encroach itself upon our territory in ways that we think that it would. Other times it's very obvious. It may be, as you've heard me say over and over and over again, disguised at what maybe Richard Foster would call noise, hurry, and crowds, and just superficiality in general. But think about the darkness. We live amongst it. Think about it. And with it comes hopelessness and despair and discouragement. And with all those things comes worry and anxiety and fear. And these things all have a way of shaping us. They shape how we interact with the world. They shape how we think. They shape how we make decisions. They shape how we speak. They shape how we often just go about our every day, right? And so it has the power to shape us. They are the exact, or darkness, I should say, is the exact opposite of the good and perfect gifts that come from above. So just like children, you and I are waiting. 
we're anticipating and we are expecting something. So what is it that we're expecting? What's it that we're waiting for? Well, you and I are longing. We may not always articulate it this way, but we're longing for the arrival of Jesus. Waiting, and maybe even beyond that, inviting the light to come into the darkness, inviting the light into the dark places, maybe even more specifically, and this is a little more challenging to do because it's not always comfortable. But to pause and invite Jesus into the dark places within us. All the dark nooks and crannies that are within us that we may not even always think about, but sometimes it's painful to pause and think, where is it in my life that I need to invite Jesus into? What's a portion of my life where the arrival of Christ would make a difference? Everywhere, of course, but where are those dark places? And then again, why Advent? Why am I even bringing it up? Because it reminds us of new beginnings. This is, kinda, this is, this is refreshing to me. Advent comes at the beginning of every new year. It reminds us of new beginnings. It reminds us that you and I have the opportunity to begin again. And please don't hear me just merely talking about new year resolutions. It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond this. It's about fresh starts. It's about you and I creating new and fresh patterns or rhythms, new ways of living in this world because you and I are waiting and we are anticipating, we are expecting Jesus. And as William talked about last week, his arrival is good news. It's good news. So listen again to Luke um, chapter 2, if you would. Um, not if you would, it is what it is. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 11. And the, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And when an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? Do we remember? Who's who's the good news for? Oh, we've forgotten. Oh, repeat after me. All people. The good news is for? I mean, is it really good news if it's not good news for all people? He says it's good news for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, considering these realities, everything that we've talked about so far, I'm going to ask again, in what ways can or must the family of God be a gift to the world around us? In what ways can we collectively be a gift? And by the way, um, more specifically, in what ways can the Hendersonville Church... you're hearing my voice and you're a part of this body, particular body, in what ways can the Hendersonville Church be a blessing or a gift to Sumner County? It's a question we have to ask. Sorry, that was a terrible way to phrase it. It's a question that we get to ask. How can we be a gift to Sumner County? How can we be a gift specifically to Hendersonville? And how can you and I be a gift literally to everybody that you and I come in contact with and interact with? I would say this, when the family of God lives out her call as the body of Christ, she models and embodies the light and the presence of Jesus wherever you go. So as you and I approach 2023, I want you to consider some things. This isn't just a New Year's Eve resolution conversation or, or message And by the way, 2023 will have its fair share of disappointments and frustrations. 
Um, there will be things that we don't expect, things that are heartbreaking. And as with every year and every day, there's things that, I mean, every day has its own trouble, right? So Paul would encourage us not to worry, or Jesus would encourage us not to worry about today because tomorrow brings enough as it is. But as we approach 2023, may you and I intentionally, sorry, pursue intentionally ways of living and being the family of God that we're called to be. I mean that individually for each one of us in this room, and I mean that collectively, communally as a people of God. What would happen if we intentionally pursued ways of living into this? And I want to suggest three ways. There obviously are more. We could go through a lot of the entire narratives of Scripture and find plenty of places to do this. Three priceless gifts, three ways that the family of God that can live as light. And I'm going to go ahead and say that these are all really large They all deserve a lot more attention than just a few more 10 minutes of our time together. All right? They're heavy. They're not easy. They're not something that just comes by most people just really easily. Okay? They're not really ranked, but I would say that the first one, the other two hinge on the first one, just, and it'll make more sense. But let's think about these three things as we move into 2023. First one, what would happen if you and I practiced relentless love of neighbor? relentless love of neighbor. Matthew twenty two thirty through 40, you know the text. Here's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer or an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, And with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We've heard Jesus say it. We've heard the text. Later on in Luke chapter 10, we'll come to it again. And we know this text as the parable of the Good Samaritan. But another expert in the law decides to test Jesus. And here's what he says. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, just who exactly is my neighbor? Could you be a little more specific, Jesus, about who it is that you're really asking me to love? There's a lot behind this. Again, this deserves enough time. This deserves more time as it is. But he says, really, who are you, Jesus, who are you really asking me to love? So where do we begin? Jennifer and I talked about this past weekend. So this is something that as she and I were reflecting on. We were just going back and forth in the car talking about it earlier this week. And, and, and the first thing I want to suggest is simply this. Just begin with seeing people. Start there. Just see people, genuinely see human beings as created in the image of God. Everybody in this room was created in the image of God. Everybody you encounter on the streets today, wherever you go, whatever they look like, however they treat you, they were created in the image of God, regardless of how dim that image may be. All right? It doesn't mean doting over everyone. Obviously, everybody's got a different personality in this room, and we all love in different ways and express love in different ways. But I'm not, don't hear this as a feeling where I'm saying, just be lovey-dovey with everybody. 
That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean agreeing with everyone on everything. That's also not what I'm saying. Loving others, though, as a priority will shape the way that you and I think about them. You hear that? It will shape the way we think about them and will ultimately change the way that you and I interact with them. Loving first will shape the way that you and I see other human beings. And I think about humility. Humility is, or the development of humility within us plays an essential role in this conversation. It shapes how we see people. So listen to Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Humility trains in us the ability to wonder. Everybody in this room, if we just pause today, it'd take us years to do this. Everybody in this room has a different life story. You have different life experiences, and all of those life experiences play into who you are and why you function like you do. And I think humility has a way of training us to think about these things. So when it comes to loving your neighbor... It requires intentional action. It requires you and I not allowing anger to control or keep you and I in bondage. It means that you and I reject violence, especially if you go back to James, especially with our words. And it certainly means that you and I stop demonizing and dismissing people just because they say something that we don't like. See them as human beings first. We become better listeners, we seek to understand, and we become more curious about who people are. And then, John Michael, what about disagreements? But what about when we disagree with somebody? What about when we don't like something that they say or believe? I didn't say, you didn't hear me say, this is actually in print right now, you didn't hear me say endorse everything. You didn't hear me say anything goes. But if we have a time in life with relationships to confront, we do so in love. We hold each other accountable and others accountable with love, and we motivate with love, not hate or fear. And by the way, loving your neighbor is not just about the removal of hate. The lack of love in relationships may be disguised as apathy or indifference. It may not be as strong as hate, but man, it comes across pretty painfully. So loving our neighbor is a powerful gift to the world. Right? Ushering in the presence of Jesus in our interactions with others. So really, what if I'm going to ask three what-if questions today. What if we worked harder to listen and ask better questions? What if we allowed humility to grow in us and shape our thoughts and words? And what kind of difference would we as a church body make in the world around us in 2023? That's the first one. Relentless love of neighbor. Two, practice reconciliation. Another tough, tough conversation. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians that It's the love of Christ that controls us. He would go on to say that Christ has built in us this ministry of reconciliation because he has reconciled himself or us to himself and given us this ministry. And so what does that even mean? Here's what I can tell you. I don't know a lot. But in my life experiences thus far, it's a lot easier to tear apart tear down and destroy relationships than it is to repair them. It happens really quickly. 
It just comes out of our mouths really quickly in our interactions. It doesn't take much at all. But think about this. Longing for beauty by way of reconciliation in the midst of chaos and war and brokenness takes intentional effort and time. And as I said, for Paul, reconciliation is a result of our love for Jesus. So that's why we reconcile. So I, I like doing this from time to time and speaking in third person. What are you exactly saying, J.M.? I am saying this. If you must fight, you gotta, some people just love to fight. Anybody know people who just love to fight? If you must fight, fight to repair. Fight to repair that which is broken. Quit fighting to break more stuff, to break more relationships. May we be people who fight to repair and heal things that have been damaged and make things good where we can. We can't make everything good. I get that. But there are places in our lives where we can fight for things to be better. And I'm not going to spend much time here, but you remember the conversation at Easter maybe about the kitsuge bowls and this, I, this art of mending. And it takes time and you take a bowl that's been broken or these artists do and in the process they create something much more beautiful. And they don't erase the wounds or the cracks, but they accentuate them because they're important to the storyline. But what would happen if you and I no longer allowed resentment and contempt to hold us captive? We might fight in a different way. We might fight less. What if we worked harder in 2023 to heal the brokenness in our relationships than tearing them down? Just a question. Here's what I'm not saying. I put a little asterisk up here. There are abusive, damaging, and toxic relationships that do exist. Do not hear me say, just say, hear me saying, sorry, you're in that. You've got to stay in it. That's not what I'm saying. Some relationships are too damaging and too violent and too abusive that you do not need to be in those. I am saying in the places where we can make a difference, what would it look like for us to attempt to reconcile? And last, practice and live in the Sabbath. I thought I might feel like a collective eye-rolling at that point. Yeah, and a chuckle, right? Because the first two are tough as it is, like practice relentless love of neighbor and practice reconciliation, and now you're saying, you want me to practice Sabbath too? Yes, Okay, hi. However, before you tune me out, just attempt to embrace Sabbath for what it was created to be, just real briefly. So listen to Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done on creation. Sabbath is literally built into the creation story. It's beautiful. Uh, Sabbath is an essential part of creation. Actually, it's built into the order of creation, if you think about it. It's, and by the way, this is kind of neat too. Do you realize that rest, stopping, did not exist until God created it? He created the earth and all the world in, you know, in, in six days as we look at it, but he also created rest. So ceasing from work is built into the very fabric of creation and given to us as a gift, right? And then you and I see it in Exodus as a Ten Commandment. This is Exodus 28 through 11. He's, it's the fourth commandment, by the way. So think this is really wild if you want to spend some time on this. Actually, <clears throat> Sunday mornings, next quarter, I'll be teaching the topic of Sabbath in my particular class. We're going to explore this a little bit more. But it's the fourth commandment. The first three commandments have to do with our relationship with God. And then it's like this thing pivots here in the middle. Before we start thinking about what it looks like to interact with others, he creates Sabbath. 
He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep hearing that, by the way, too, holy. It's set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's not just some whimsical, fun, little, playful life suggestion that if you have time to do it, you should invest in it. It's actually a little bit stronger than that. Sabbath emerges from God and Think about it, God practiced it first before it ever became a commandment. He practiced it. Um, God knows how you and I were created. He knows that you and I need it. And so when you and I rest or stop, you and I actually participate in God's very nature. And Sabbath is one of God's greatest gifts to the human experience, and actually it's renewal. And so what about Jesus and Sabbath? Jesus practiced Sabbath. He modeled it and he taught it. And in fact, if you go back and look in the New Testament, he was actually criticized. He and his disciples were criticized more than once for how they practiced Sabbath. Because they didn't practice it legalistically like the Pharisees. Jesus would teach it was made for humans. So Sabbath isn't about oughts and shoulds. And it's not intended to be a legalistic checklist. But like many things, the Pharisees distorted it and disfigured it into something very different. And so Sabbath, though, think about it this way. Sabbath is not a soft habit. Just like the first two, it's bigger than we think that it is. It's not just about taking naps. I do think that there's some nap taking that should happen on Sabbath, but in many ways it's a strong response. It's resistance to the forces of our culture. It's a powerful discipline that confronts our bondage. So if you think about humans in general, many people are addicted to work. Workaholism is a real term in our culture. People are found assigning their value, their worth, and their identity based on their performance or how much they achieve. And they live with no limits. And the pace of life is simply out of control. So Sabbath is this practice that stops or of stopping that opens us to God's transforming work within us. us. And there's a reason, by the way, that it was given as a weekly habit. Those of you who have habits and rhythms, you know that it's one thing to practice something once a month. It's another thing to practice something on a regular weekly basis because the way that it forms us. So guess what? (laughs) Or I should say, and guess what? This is really difficult to practice. Really. And I I can only imagine some of the things that are stirring inside you as we think about this. And I'm recognized and I am sensitive to the seasons of life. I think about Jennifer and I's daughters who just gave birth to two new babies. They had toddlers before this. And so now they both have two children, Right? So Laura and Christine now have an almost three-year-old and almost two-year-old and two little baby in, babies in the house. They both work full-time jobs, and their husbands work full-time jobs, and they are juggling life. Anybody know what that's like to juggle life? And those of you who are raising your hands are going, and you're asking me to stop and rest. Yes. I can't think of a better time to do that than when you have small children to teach them what rest and Sabbath is, but I also am conscientious to the season of life that you may be in. So I look over here, and, I, and I, I get a wink and a, and a giggle from Lacey, and I think, like Jennifer and I remember when we have the grandkids for one day. If you're grandparents, right, you have the grandkids for one day, and you go, I forgot how hard this was. I don't remember this. Then you have them for a weekend or a whole week, and by the time that you're done, you don't even know who you are anymore. Yeah, some, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Look, Pedigo, I know. You're like, 
That's who you are, by the way, just so you, in case you've forgotten. Um, so either way, it's a, it's a blessing, but Jennifer and I remember this, so I'm not being, I, please don't hear me being facetious about this, but maybe you, maybe you don't have little kids. Maybe you're working more than one job just to make ends meet. Maybe practicing Sabbath seems unrealistic. Maybe rest is elusive. Maybe it's hard to find and it doesn't just happen. And maybe stopping seems like a real distant reality. Many of you, I think if I ask you to raise your hands, are overwhelmed, exhausted, and depleted with very little margin to do anything else, especially rest. So let's get practical and then we'll wrap this thing up. What's it look like to practice Sabbath? Address and assess the pace of life you are living and begin by evaluating the season of life that you're currently living. Everybody in this room has a different pace of life. If you've got little kids, it's a different thing altogether, right? You may not have kids, it's a different thing altogether too, but, but assess it. Determine and give yourself some grace, Lacey, right? If you have little kids, give yourself some grace rather than setting yourself up for failure. Ask, what is this, what season is this? What is work for you? Because that looks different for everybody. And how can I share this blessing with my family? Start there. Just start with looking at where you are. Second thing is this. Practice Sabbath in that season. And start small. Given your circumstances, it may be impossible for some of you to stop for a full 24 hours. So reevaluate your current schedules and routines and ask this question. I'm really asking this question. What can you eliminate? And in what ways can you scale back? Three, this is big. Anticipate that little voice inside you that's going to lead you to discouragement and the voice that pressures you to say yes to everything. FOMO is what they call it, right? Fear of missing out. I have to say yes because everybody on Facebook is saying yes. They're doing it, so we have to do it. Sorry, Facebook, that's really dated, George. I apologize. Twitter, Instagram, uh, what else is there? Snapchat. There's other ways, yeah. There's many other things. I'm probably missing two or three. Sabbath is not about adding anything. It's about saying yes to the best things not just to the good things, okay? Say yes to the best things. This is the fourth one. Think in terms of creating pockets of time or space and be fluid. Maybe it's a particular day of being fully present and not rushed. Anybody ever feel rushed? Take a break from being rushed. You know what you're like? Does anybody know what we're really like when we're rushed? Have you been around? Do you enjoy being around people who are constantly rushed and in a hurry? Anybody just love that? I don't think so. Right? So maybe it's just being fully present. Maybe it's a weekend once a month. Maybe it's certain hours. Maybe it's unplugging from media. This is slow work. It's a process. It's a journey of developing a posture of Sabbath and not something you're going to figure out this week. But it is something designed to be holy and set apart. So if we were to slow down, pause, practice stopping, being present and saying no, in what ways would you and I be a gift to those we spend our time with? So take a deep breath. Three, really, you don't have to close your eyes right now if you don't want to, but just take a breath. When it comes to gifts, what's the world waiting for? What's it anticipating? What's the world expecting? And then ask this, when is the family of God a gift to the world? I would say it's when we practice or participate in the ways of Jesus because he is the light He is the gift that the world needs. He's the gift that we need. He's who we're longing for. And so my question for us is, in what ways will you and I point to Jesus? And in what ways will you and I shine like stars? So when it comes to gifts, it's the same box I think William had last week. Sounds like a pretty life-changing gift to me. All three of those do. 
But maybe as you and I approach 2023, you and I will really consider what it looks like to practice relentless love for neighbors. Maybe we will think a little bit differently about what it means to practice reconciliation. More specifically, you, you may even be in conflict with somebody in this room. The family of God, we're a family, we're going to have conflict with each other from time to time. Maybe it means practicing reconciliation with someone within eyesight of you in this space. Maybe it means practicing Sabbath. So may we as a church look towards 2023 as a fresh beginning, as a fresh start to begin living in different ways. Start small, pick one, but think about them all because you can't dismiss all three of them. Practice love of neighbor, practice reconciliation and begin thinking about what it looks like to practice Sabbath. Beyond those things, you may be in this space this morning and be in a lot of pain for other things. You may need prayers. Maybe your heart is leaning towards Jesus in new ways. Maybe you want to come and uh, be a part of his family in a way that you never have been before and be baptized into him. And if that's the case, we'd love for you to come on down and be baptized into him or come on down for prayers as we stand.